this summer, our services are all addressing our Unitarian Universalist six sources in one way or another. You are hearing about each source twice from either the Music and Worship Committee or me. So today, I am addressing our third source, wisdom from the world's religions, which inspires us in our ethical and spiritual life. As Unitarian Universalists, we are open to the wisdom to be found in all religions of the world, confident that each tradition has something to offer us. So today, I will be drawing wisdom and inspiration from the religion of Hinduism, and very specifically regarding a specific Hindu deity or goddess known as Akilanda Savari. I'm not going to ask you to say that. <laughs> it is said that the Hindu religion has 333 million gods. You might be familiar with some of them. The large blue figure in this image is Krishna. Other well-known Hindu divinities include Ganesha, Parvati, Shiva, Hanuman, Lakshmi, Sarasvati, Vishnu, Durga, and Indra. But there's over 333 million more. However, many Hindus see their faith as a form of monotheism. They consider these millions of gods to be aspect of one god, Brahman, who is the highest ultimate reality of the universe, the cause of all that exists, the cause of all change. So for many Hindu people, Akilanda Savari and all other Hindu gods and goddesses simply are ways of understanding this one god, Brahman, by understanding some of the limitless ways that God, however they might name or understand God, can manifest in our human lives. And so these goddesses and gods are often called avatars of Brahman, aspects or expressions of Brahman. So Akilanda Savari's name comprises three Sanskrit words, Akilan meaning the universe, Aand meaning a ruler, and Aswari meaning goddess. So Akilanda Swari means the goddess who rules the universe. She embodies the cataclysmic and chaotic processes that the universe and each component of it undergoes as the universe constantly transforms. But as with many Hindu deities, she has many names, many ways of understanding her uh, besides that initial fundamental way. And Akilanda, as I call her for short, as many people do, is also known as the goddess, never not broken. And so what are you if you are never not broken? If you are never not broken, then you are always broken. That double negative emphasizes the brokenness as a basic condition of Akilanda's very existence. And so, as you see here, she's sometimes even pictured as being in pieces, like a jigsaw puzzle not quite put back together. 
Akilanda's main temple is in the Indian state of Tamil Nadu, and it is named the Jambukaswar Temple, and here is one of the four gates to that temple. And this is a very familiar appearance of many great Hindu temples. I can tell you all of those figures going up are probably 15 to 20 feet high, each of them painted um, in those beautiful, beautiful colors. So all Hindu gods and goddesses have a story, and here is Akilanda's. Akilanda was a fierce and angry goddess, very impatient with her worshippers' imperfections in the prayer, the praise, and the request they gave to her. If the milk offered was a little sour instead of fresh, or the flowers a bit fading from perfection, or the prayers not phrased exactly right, Akilanda could be merciless. She was so severe with imperfections that her devotees ultimately were afraid to enter her temple. They stayed outside to worship. Those devoted to her needed and wanted her strength, so necessary for her to assist them. Such fierce gods put their devotees on the fast track to spiritual attainment because their expectations are so high. At the same time, Akilanda's rage and anger were frightening and therefore not helpful for her followers. Akilanda's husband, Jambukusvara, also a powerful god, decided to help her. He did this by giving her a pair of golden earrings, each inscribed with two of the sacred symbols or yantras known as the Shri Yantra, which you see here. This is an image formed of nine major interlocking triangles that form a total of 42 smaller triangles surrounded by the petals of two lotus blossoms. It is a symbol representing the entire cosmos and the pilgrimage one takes in life to reach unity with that cosmos. When Akilanda put on the earrings, she immediately became calm. And I can tell you, a really good pair of earrings can have that effect on me. <laughs> but what happened for Akilanda is that her frenzied rage and fierceness entered into the Sri Yantra and was captured by the geometry of the images, reflecting around these triangles but not able to escape. So the earrings, the sacred symbol of the Sri Yantra, was really an energy trap for that rage and fierceness. And so with the sacred power of the Sri Yantra supporting her, Akilanda was able to remain fierce and powerful, but not filled with rage. She became a benevolent and generous goddess, one who blesses with love and compassion as well as strength and fierceness. And here you see Akilanda. This is an image of the statue of her and those kind of two big discs uh, are those earrings with the uh, Sri Yantra on them. And as with most Hindu gods, Akilanda has a mount or vehicle. Most gods and goddesses are associated with an animal that they ride or stay near. And the mount or vehicle illustrates 
something negative that that god surpasses or overcomes in their divinity. So Akilanda's vehicle is the crocodile. And I had never known this before. I began studying her, but a crocodile kills its prey by dragging it underwater and spinning it. If you remember, uh, if you ever saw the old Tarzan movies, I saw that happen with Tarzan. He was always rolling with alligators or crocodiles underwater, and I, I thought that was just drama. No, that's how it happens. The prey gets so disoriented from the spinning that it is unable to resist and dies by drowning, and there is, is dead before the, the crocodile eats it. So that negative and destructive power of the crocodile that Akilanda overcomes is that spinning of fear and confusion, chaos and despair. So Akilanda rides and controls the crocodile of fear and chaos over the waves of change and doubt. She not only faces her fear, but uses it as an energy to move forward on her path to greater growth, strength, and beauty. There is great energy in powerful emotions such as fear, and that energy often can be used for a better purpose. So what Akilanda has to teach us, she who embodies the eternal transformative force of the universe, she who is never not broken, what she teaches us is that when we are shattered into pieces by fear or other frightening things, when we feel shattered in pieces beyond what we can endure, in those moments can be the greatest liberation from our suffering. We have the choice at that moment to overcome our despair, to take courage and to put ourselves back into a more powerful, more whole, and more beautiful self, cracks and all. Because as humans, of course, we also remain broken, even after we put ourselves back together. Any sense we have of stability in our lives, of no change, is an illusion. And Akilanda realizes that her brokenness is a constant state. She teaches us that our power lies in picking ourselves up and putting ourselves back together over and over again. We never were and never will be a constant limited whole, but it is in our brokenness that we are unlimited. We always have the choice to reinvent ourselves in times of great suffering, to adapt to changing circumstances, to use our strength to put ourselves back together again. Because Akilanda chooses not only to put herself back together, she also chooses how. How she wishes to become. How she wishes to transform. And we also have that choice to remake ourselves at any moment into someone better, more joyous, more loving. And paradoxically, that new whole self we build will itself be impermanent and broken and cracked. So it is those cracks that we have that allow us room to grow and love and to be limitless. 
As the poet Rumi says, please shatter my heart and create new room to hold limitless love. Akilanda teaches to us to use the times of brokenness to free ourselves from the burden and guilt of the past, of unhelpful routines and habits. She inspires innovation and exploration. I want to be clear, though, that I'm carefully saying that this opportunity to reinvent ourselves is not the cause of suffering. We do not suffer to have this opportunity. We suffer because we suffer. However, it is so important that we have and choose the resilience to put ourselves back together. But I want to be really clear, I'm not saying the suffering happens so that we do that. I think that would be dreadful theology, frankly. Chinese-American technology entrepreneur Ping Fu says in her memoir, Bend Not Break, A Life in Two Worlds, she says, I have come to the realization that challenging experiences break us all at some point. Our bodies and minds, our hearts and egos. When we put ourselves back together, we find that we are no longer perfectly straight, but rather bent and cracked. Yet it is through these cracks that our authenticity shines. When our masks and self-images are stressed and broken through suffering, what emerges afterward can be a more true, genuine, and authentic self. A self with no pretense of wholeness or perfection or infallibility. A self that does not count on a false reality of permanence and stability and unchangingness. Those are the opportunities we have in our suffering, not the purpose of suffering. Sometimes all you can do, as the reading said this morning, is gently turn your face toward the direction from which the light will come as the world begins again. So why speak of Akilanda? Times of change and confusion and suffering are fearful. Fear of the future, fear of change, these things can freeze you like a deer in the headlights. There is resistance to change and to doing what you need to do to survive and to live as your most whole self because that's all frightening. And when you are in these times of change and confusion, despair and grief, when you are falling to pieces and when you have the courage to let yourself fall to pieces, you also need your strong community, the people around you, because the people around you are essential to helping you put the pieces back together. They're also helpful in your choice of how you wish to put yourself back together. They are helpful for reminding you that there is no steady state, that even your new whole self comes pre-cracked. And that is clearly one of the purposes and responsibilities of this religious community. And we just sang about it in that hymn. Will we hold one another in love? Will we affirm one another in love? Will we learn from one another to be more loving, giving, and trusting? Our Unitarian Universalist third principle calls us to promise in covenant that we will accept each other and encourage each other to spiritual growth. 
This acceptance we are called to means accepting each other as we are in each moment of our lives. Accepting each other when we are joyful and happy, but also accepting each other when we are fearful, despairing, and broken. We have promised, we have covenanted in this religious community not to turn away from one another when times are hard. And with love and encouragement during hard times, we can help one another put the pieces back together into a new whole that, while it's also temporary and cracked, is also more beautiful, strong, compassionate, and authentic. This process of putting ourselves back into a whole that is stronger and more beautiful than where we started from is reflected in the Japanese practice of kintsugi, which means gold repair. And this is a practice of mending broken pottery with a substance that includes precious powdered metals such as gold or silver or platinum. When the repair is made, the item definitely does not look as it did unbroken. The cracks are visible. This approach treats breakage and repair as part of an object's history, not something to be disguised. For Japanese people to leave the suffering of life visible in ourselves, our cracks, develops in humans the quality of mano no aware, or compassionate sensitivity to others. As we are broken and repair ourselves with the help of others, so we have compassion also for others when they break. So your spiritual homework for the coming weeks, if you choose, is to reflect on the following questions inspired by the story of the goddess Akilanda. When you have experienced great chaos or fear or despair or grief in your life, how did you feel about the prospect of being broken, of descending into those feelings, into what might have appeared to be a limitless well of despair? Did you fight it? Did you resist it? Did you deny it? Did you say it's not happening? I'm not going there. Because, of course, if you go there, you're afraid you're going to die. That it will be too much for you. So we can fight, fight, cracking and falling into pieces with all of our strength. But there's no escaping it if it's real for you. So what do you do? What have you done when you have been approached by these hard times? In your times of greatest despair, what is it that sustained you? How did you get through? Who were your helpers in putting yourself back together? If you had any, what did they do for you? And how were you different if you experienced yourself as different after coming out of a time of great challenge and, and despair? These are big questions. And so my hope is that your reflection on these questions can aid you going forward to love and sustain yourself and others in this beloved community during the very hard times we all experience. 
So in closing, I ask you to remember with Akilanda, the goddess never not broken, and also along with the poet Leonard Cohen, who said, you can add up the parts, but you won't have the sum. You can strike up the march, but there is no drum. Every heart, every heart to love will come, but like a refugee. So ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. There is a crack in everything, and that's how the light gets in. So may it be for you in your times of brokenness. Amen and blessed be.